So welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. My next guest is Ulster Ireland and Northampton or Paul Shields. Ulster fans will remember Paul well. He got over 100 caps for Ulster and won the Celtic League before moving to Northampton where he finished his playing career and uh, he's still over there. And we'll hear a wee bit more about what he's up to in a minute. So this is a send to Paul before we started to record. It's a special podcast for me and I made Paul feel a little by saying as a big fan of his when I was sort of a, a kid, sort of a young teenager. And I also played at hooker and enjoyed watching the way Paul played. Always got the ball in his hands. He's very quick and fun to watch. And like Paul, it's great to finally get speaking to you. How are you getting on? Great, great. It's a very, very kind introduction. I don't think I've ever been anyone's favourite player before. Even my kids are trying to talk them into it. But no, no it's, it's very kind. I'm very happy to be here. Very privileged. Thank you. Oh, it's great to have you. And tell us a wee bit, because uh, a lot of Ulster fans, look, everyone will remember you. Ulster fans will remember you from back in the day. It's been some time since you left Ulster, but t- tell us what you've been up to and what you're what you're doing now. Uh, it's, pre- it's it's very kind and presumptuous that people would remember me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, what am I doing now? So I moved, so in 07, I moved across to Northampton. Um, as a player, I was still playing at the time. Uh, we stayed, played two years and a neck injury sort of finished my career. Um, and at that point, myself and my wife were, were were reasonably settled and not ready to to move on from the area. We'd actually just bought a we'd bought a, a franchise in Northampton Rugby Tots, which is rugby for kids two to two to seven. So we um, we had that and uh, said to the said to the staff at the time, if there's a job that you think I might be good for, then let us know. Didn't really have any preconceived ideas for what that was, and wasn't quite sure whether I wanted to get into the coaching thing. And they offered me team manager and. Did that for for ten years and then moved into the re- recruitment role at Northampton, same as what Bryn Cunningham does at Ulster, and uh, and I'm still here. Very good, and like, we'll we'll get a wee bit more about sort of what that role actually involves in the day to day because I'm really really interested to hear about sort of player scouting, recruitment, what you look for in players coming through. I think that's really fascinating. But I want to start. I've spoken to Sandy before as well. I spoke to a load of your old teammates, and um, uh, they all have very good things to say, of course. But uh, actually, a few of the guys messaged me and say Paul's a great guest, and uh, I was like, of course, of course, he will be. And uh, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. No you got pressure. me nervous now. <laughs> Who did you speak to? <laughs> so I, I so I've spoken to loads of them. I always like to start at the beginning. Um, the first question is, tell me what was your first memory playing rugby? My first memory playing rugby? Oh, well, um, I was actually quite late to rugby. In fairness, I was, um, when I was growing up, <clears throat> I played mostly football the majority of the time. I spent most of my time uh, playing football and moved to England when I in about 1987. Um and I, I played football. I lived up in Weatherby, up in Yorkshire. Played foot with my dad. My, my dad's job brought us over there, and I played football for three years. And it's only when I came back to um, to Northern Ireland to go to school at, at Belfast Inns that, that rugby started for me. Football wasn't really an option, so that's where rugby started. So my first memory is probably running around the fields of Osborne Park with um, with the ball in my hand, thinking this is great crack. I was pretty small and. Um, pretty small and stocky, reasonably quick, didn't have a clue what I was doing. And they went, right, you'll be a prop. And I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't, I never got out of the front row and I stayed there ever since. So that, that, that's probably my first memories of playing rugby. Yeah, and, and so you talked about going to Inst as well. T- tell us about wh- where did your actual passion for the game come from? Was that, I suppose, Inst is such a, 
it's such, such emphasis put on rugby there. Was that sort of where you developed the love for the game or was it just something? Because I've spoken to a few guys and they say, look, it didn't particularly like rugby. I just happened to be very good at it. But were you someone who really was passionate about it from an early stage? I was. I just I just loved it. I found, you know, I was, I, I loved my football and enjoyed my sport, but rugby was something I really got into. And I thought, actually really, really enjoyed it. And um, played a lot, you know. You play, you get into the medallion, and you start to play competitive. And um, you just, I just enjoyed going to training. I just loved everything about it. I just wanted to to play rugby all the time and enjoy being with your teammates, running around, belting people, getting belted, <laughs> getting involved in that whole thing. I just loved it. I think that's really where the the passion came from, and just it's it stayed with me. I really just enjoyed every aspect of it. I think really whenever I hit fifth form and the aspiration to play with older older guys and, and sixth form, that really ignited it in me. And then as you get older, you get closer to Ulster schools and all of a sudden this representation of something special um, means an awful lot more to you. So it just sort of grips you and takes a hold of you and you just, you just go with it. So um, yeah, that, that's really how it came for me. I just, I just loved it and just wanted to do it all the time. Yeah, and this is a tricky question because I, I, I've no doubt you seem a very modest person, but like at school, would you have stood out as being, I mean, were people telling you, oh, you should be a professional or did that just come later on or uh, how successful were you at school, both as just you, but also your team as well? Is it a good team? It shows how old I am. The professional rugby wasn't a thing back then when I was playing. There was no oh, aspiration to be a professional. Right, okay. So yeah. um, it came around in 95. But I, I, was, I, was I the best in the team? No, actually, probably not. I wasn't. There's always kids whenever you come up in the age groups that are physically more mature than you. And they tend to stand out. And the massive kids that you played against who had 13, 14, or 6 for 2, 6 for 3, they're always, they're always massive. They're the, they're the kids that stand out. I wasn't them. I had aspirations to get to 6 for 2, 6 for 3, but was happy to get to 5 for 2, 5 for 3 <laughs> stages. So, so stay with that. Um, and um, no, I, I didn't really stand out at anything in terms of how successful we were for a team. Medallion, we were a decent weed team. We got to fifth form. Um, and the, the upper sixth of that fifth form were a really successful medallion team at RBA and I, and I managed to get myself in that team and we won the school's cup final in 1995 in the worst weather conditions you've ever seen and, and Bryn Cunningham was actually playing for, for Bangor that day as well and we won 14-7 uh, and that was it and then the f- and that, that, that was the, the first success in my final year captain we got to the final and um we, I like to say rather graciously, let or, let BRA win their first and only ever trophy. But uh, the reality is that they were a better team on that day. And uh, yeah, so I, I had a pretty decent amount of success at school. I was pretty happy with uh, with, with the medals I won. Yeah, no, it's um, I to have a sort of a rich history of, of um, rugby, you know, and uh, I suspected that you would have won a, a school's cup or two or medallion shield or two in your time. So, um, so you're obviously. Did well enough. Uh, again, you're being very modest there, but um, you reached sort of Ulster representative level and then went on from there. Tell us about that process of joining Ulster, getting into that squad. I mean, what was what was the process and what was that like back then? It sort of really it, it came it came by accident. So I left school and went to play for for Estonians and was playing all Ireland two, all Ireland three. Like my first year out of school, I played for every team in the club. I played sixth, fifth, fourth, third, seconds, first. I just wanted to play every weekend and played the twenties during the weekend. We had a really good 
in Stonehenge under twenties team, and we were quite successful, and that and that was great fun. But um, I was just playing playing for Estonians, you know, probably not in not in great shape. To be fair, it's probably retaining too much water at that time. <laughs> but um, uh, we we were uh, we were just playing playing for Estonians, and I, I just got a call um call one evening to say that there'd been an injury, uh, and I was going to sit on the bench for Ulster versus Leinster in the in the in the um in the interprovincial series and I was like what because <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know anyone it was completely blind winning the night before nervous excited all of those things and you basically sat on the sat on the bench didn't get on but it was amazing to be involved in that and and the skill and the speed and everything else and and, and get yourself up to involve with those people that you'd looked up like it was only the year before I'd actually watched them win the win the European Cup. So so that was amazing. And I found myself sort of in and around the squad from there a wee bit, signed a couple of, of academy contracts and did some really hard training to get myself in some some proper fitness and some proper shape. Yeah. And I sat on the bench for quite quite a number of times behind Alan Clark and Richie Weir. And I actually it wasn't until 2000 that it was probably a particular year sit, sitting on the bench that I actually made my debut. Um and it was, you know, it was a special game. We it was Toulouse. Um, it was 36 all in, in Toulouse that we came back and managed to uh to get it sorted at the death. So um I still remember Jimmy, Jimmy Topping scored the try and I think David Irwin the dock was running every bit as fast as he did his bag over his shoulder and he was racing up the touchline at Jimmy. He almost dived on Jimmy before he put the ball down. So so that that was special. So so it sort of it came around, it sort of came around by accident. And from there uh, you know, we're studying from university. It just sort of flowed from there, and oh, there's an actually an opportunity to to do something here, and maybe there's maybe there's something in this, and I wanted to give it every crack I had, and that that's sort of where it came from. Yeah, so I mean, that was a stage you were saying before, and it didn't occur to me for some reason, but whenever you were playing at school, there was no aspiration for this to be a job. That only became something which uh, was a possibility later on, which which is so interesting because a lot of the guys, uh, a lot of the best players especially, play for the love of it. You know, it's not because they want to secure a massive contract or whatever. Um, but whenever, uh, whenever you came into that squad, so you're competing with the likes of, it, it's uh, Alan Clark, uh, Richie Ware, and then later on, would it have been Matt Matt Sexton? Am I right saying that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Matt Matty came along later on. So, um, when I first came in, it was Clarky and it was uh, it was Richie. They were they were the first guys in, and then uh, um, uh, Clarky's Clarky was coming to the end of his his career, but he was a real good example to me in terms of how to apply yourself and how to get yourself fit. Um and working your your course clock. He wasn't wasn't a big man, but his set piece stuff was 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 really very good. Um and and then after that, Mark Mark Crick came in from Australia, didn't quite take. And then Alan Solomon's brought in Matt Sexton at that point. Uh, he came in. Nigel Brady was there or thereabouts as well. He was just coming into the scene, and then Matt left. And uh, Whenever Alan Solomon's left, Rat went back to New Zealand, and and it was Rory that uh, Rory that came in after that. So yeah, yeah there were there wasn't loads of of guys at that time, but there was um there was enough there was enough of quality in there. Yeah, so I was going to ask you. I mean, in terms of the atmosphere generally, it was so it was a different different time where, and it sounds like it was a bit of a baptism of fire. Whenever you went into that squad, I suppose there's 
uh, rugby, from what I gather, is, is a bit more old school. And in terms of the how competitive it was, tell us a wee bit more about the atmosphere. Was it competitive? Was there anyone, you mentioned there, Alan Clark, anyone in the squad who went out of their way to actually put their arm around you, welcome you into the squad? Oh, yeah. Listen, they were they were amazing to me. And, you know, guys like... You know, guys like Tony McWhorter was was really, really very good with me, and probably having a, a shared passion for Man United really helped. <laughs> but you know, there was there was no egos in the squad. Everyone looked after me. You know, I've still got you know these guys. I'm still really close with now, and you know, people like David Humphreys, who I looked up to enormously, is, is a is a really good pal of mine. So um, yeah, I, I there was. I saw the evolution of that squad whenever that it started and it won the European Cup and the next season struggled in Europe. You know that 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 was that was a one of a kind season. What and what those guys achieved was was absolutely amazing. So it was great to be a part of. And I saw the evolution of the squad the next few couple of years. The guy came in like then Spencer Bromley and Rias Fredericks and guys like that. So I, I just loved being a part of it and loved going training and sort of getting your head around the concept of. You know, this is what you do for a living. It was just, it was just amazing. I just, I just love being there. I love going to work. I love spending time with the boys. I just really, I was completely invested in the whole thing. I just love being around it. Yeah, and it's it's so good and so nostalgic to hear you talk about those names and and that time at Ulster. I suppose I sort of uh, remember my earliest sort of proper memory of Ulster is winning the European Cup. Do you know? And I, I think you assume, and it was the same year, right enough. United won the the treble, and I just thought. Almost everything's great in the world of sport. Uh, we'll win the European Cup every year. <laughs> it didn't work out like that, but you know, you did. Uh, you did go on to to win the Celtic League, which is the last thing Ulster have actually won. Uh, tell me a wee bit more about some of your highlights at Ulster. Are there any particular moments or games or achievements that stand out? I think. Um, I think the. I think the big thing from playing is that we, you know, we we won two things. We won the Celtic Cup. In two thousand and three, in Edinburgh, and we won we won the Celtic League in in two thousand and five. So, you know, we had some some great performances to win that year in a seriously competitive league, and to go to the Ospreys on on the last game and, and win to me to guarantee the title was was a great achievement. But I, I guess the things that stick out for me the most were, you know, was was going to Monster and and winning, which nobody did, and the year, but. You know, you don't need me to tell you that those European nights back back in the early two thousands were they were unbelievably special to be part of those nights. Um, and you knew that um, whenever the opposition drove in, like Donald O'Callaghan used to say, they get off the bus and just a life was sucked out of them. Like the weather was fine, but at Ravenhill on a Friday night, someone just switched the, uh, the the bad weather on and it came <laughs> and it just took the energy out of the legs and and we were buoyed by it and it really gave the crowd something to get behind and it became an event. People mm. came to to watch Ulster on a Friday night and uh, amazing games against you know I was we we beat Stade Francais a few times with all of their all of their superstars that we have and you know we beat um I remember we beat Wasps in early two thousands with you know Lawrence Delalio and Kenny Logan and Simon Shaw and all of those guys playing and and we give them an absolute Tonkin at Ravenhill and and those nights were they were brilliant and I think that everyone loved them you know the supporters the players everyone just just loved playing those games and we knew that we were a real hard team to play against in, in Europe you know, you were really up against it whenever you're playing against us uh, no nobody looked forward to coming to play us yeah no I love that I absolutely love it I do remember going to those games and fairly miserable nights to do in terms of weather but uh a real hostile environment which is just great I absolutely love that you know you create this this cauldron of noise and um a, a sort of a different atmosphere to what there is now I suppose it was a lot of sort of um 
I don't know, just a, a different vibe at games. I think it's become a lot more sort of family friendly, which has its own benefits, you know, but uh, just different and uh, loved going. Absolutely loved going. Highlight of my week back in the day. Um, t- tell us a bit more about um, the Ulster squad, some of the big characters and some of your sort of, who are you sort of good mates with in that squad? Um, oh, geez, there's, um, so, so I guess there's guys that I knew the whole way through the school system and came in afterwards, like, um, like, like Brinzer and Simon, Simon Best has always been a good pal of mine, but he's actually my brother-in-law. We're, we're married to sisters. So, you know, we're, we're still really close. Um, Tony McWhorter, Jimmy Topping, John Cunningham, you know, those, those guys were, were brilliant with me, but even, even like the guys I would spend a lot of time with was, was Dinger, Johnny Bell and, Hump's still a really good pal of mine, but but I suppose Paddy Wallace is probably a really really good pal of mine. We've always been very close. He's actually my wife's cousin. It all sounds very close, doesn't it? But <laughs> yeah. that's that could be a bit no than I, and I've no <laughs> doubt that I've upset someone that I that I haven't mentioned their name. But um, yeah, I, you, those are the guys that we spent a lot of time with, and the characters in the squad. You know, we had we had Fitzy, and who was who was brilliant, and sometimes without meaning to be. You remember we were playing Stade Francais and we were all getting revved up to the game and it is has actually said they're gonna come at us like wheeling banshees. And it was sound like what what what's a wheeling banshee? What's that? And it was there's swirling dervish. What what are these things? What are they? We're trying to get motivated to go out. But Wardy was a massive Wardy was a massive character in the group and absolutely brilliant and, and Blairzo and, and as it evolved and got older then you've got your your Neil Best, your Roger Wilsons, your Andy Maxwells and Scotty Young and, and Stevie Ferris's and, and Rory and Isaac Boss and the, the names go like Ulster is just full full of characters. Like I still I still laugh with Dinger. We talk about you know aspirations to be professional rugby players and that wasn't there. But Dinger was playing for I think it was combat com, combined Ireland side played the South Africa played the Springboks in in 1995. They they played a game and. I was only young at the time and they played a game at Ravenhill. And, and at those days, you only went to see the, the interprovincials. Maybe they played the Salt Tires or it was a it was a touring team or something. But anyways, Dinger was so I'm getting I see Mark Andrews and Francois Pinot and Cobus Vis I'm getting all of their autographs and I'm standing with the, the autograph book and I'm looking away and then someone takes out my hand and signs it and hands it back to me and it's Dinger. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> but like, you know, I didn't he was a player at the time and I, but it's only but after I think I still have the autograph book and I, pe- I keep showing it to him every once in a while. And I don't I don't know who laughs more. Is, is he <laughs> laughing at me or am I laughing at him? So we still chuckle at that. So good, and he's he's back now at Ulster, of course. So uh, it's uh, the band's getting back together slowly but surely, you know. Um, so uh, in terms of, we'll, we'll talk maybe about your connection to Ulster and, and that ongoing connection uh, a wee bit more. But um, in terms of Ireland, like. I'll, I'll confess, I hadn't realised you actually had Ireland caps as well. Because, uh, but uh, tell us a bit more about getting those caps and and what an achievement that must be. It must have been some experience. Uh, yeah, it was. It was the, you know, I was. I'd been. I played some. I'd never played any Ireland stuff as I was coming through the school system. I'd never made Ireland schools. I'd never made. Ireland twenties. I, I didn't do that. There were guys Ireland nineteen. There were guys who were who were better than me. There was 
um, you know, Jerry Flannery was was my agent, um, uh, Dave Blaney was my agent, Peter Smith, who was a year above me, was a fantastic hooker from from St Mary. So, so I never played, and I was just keeping my head down playing for for Ulster and got the you know the one of the most special days of my career was whenever I actually played an Ireland A game against Wales A at at, at Musgrave Park because it was actually putting putting the Ireland jersey on and mm. running out in the pitch. And I was like, once once I've run out, you can't take it off me. I've actually I've played and I was in and around the Ireland stuff and I'd never really got in and I was called in late um, to to sit on the bench against Romania in a World Cup qualifier. I never got on a pitch, but it was special to be there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was then called up to go on a turn. Now, in those days, you know, the, there wasn't as much rugby, so I was called called up pretty much off the back of playing in the All-Ireland League in my form in, in the AIL. And we went to, we got, we went to Australia, Tonga, uh, and Samoa, which was an unbelievable place to, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable place to go and, and, and play rugby. Australia was it was amazing. That's you know Wendell Sealer and Lottie Takiri made their debut that day. We were like ch- chasing shadows with those two, but mm-hmm. never got on the pitch. And then we went to Tonga, which was just a different level of, of place altogether. It was it was really fascinating and to be there. Never got on the pitch then, but best he did, and it was his debut, and it was awesome to 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 be around and 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 be in the squad and have a beer with him after. And then the last game was was Samoa, so um, it was kind of like, well, this is this is it. Fingers crossed. You know, I'd done the preseason trips to Spala where we'd done the we'd done the training in the in the cryotherapy, and you're like, well, if it's gonna come, hopefully it's today. So, um. It, it was a brilliant tour, but I thought that I thought I thought it would never come because it, you know, at half time it's absolutely roast in there, um, and the humidity is ferocious. And we had Johnny Bell and Anthony Horgan who are not built for the sun, um, so they're, they're losing quite a lot of water over the course of the day. And um, we were in the changing room at half time and getting the fluids in for the lads. And uh, and a guy used to be shouted over shoes. He threw me threw me my spare shirt, so I just picked this shirt off the. Off the off the peg and just launched it at him because it was a group of people in front of him and he had his hand. I was going to throw it at the top of him. I launched it and as it sort of happened in slow motion, I launched it and looked up and there was a fan going on the ceiling. So it lit and it hit the fan and just the <laughs> noise of the shirt just got chopped up and spat out the other side. And I sort of looked at it. What's what's just happened? And Eddie O'Sullivan jumped a mile in the air. Keith Wood screamed at me and I just went. I've blown it. I can't believe I've blown it. Well, then actually I've just thrown a shirt that's been chopped up in the air and that's the Ireland career over. And I'm sort of, I'm walking out at half time dejected going, I actually can't believe that's just happened. And I've got my head down and going, I, I actually have no idea. Anyway, Woody came over and said, listen, I'm sorry, but you really frightened me. And I, I had to save a bit of face by shouting at someone. And, and uh, <laughs> I got, I got on, I got on the pitch um, and it was a really, really, Proud, proud moment for me. And I, I got on the pitch. I was absolutely delighted. Got got my cap. And and to be fair, Woody, Woody was amazing because I wanted to swap shirts after after the game. And um, none of the none of the Samoan guys were really up for doing it. But you know, guys guys were amazing. Ronan O'Gara gave me his shirt and said, "Here, keep your own. Go and swap swap mine." Um, which I which I tried to do, but none of the Samoan guys wanted to swap. And and Woody and Trevor Leota was the opposite hooker. And Woody knew Trevor quite well, so Woody actually went and said to Trevor, "Trevor, listen, it's this lad's debut. Would you do him a Would you do him a turn?" And to be fair, Trevor went and drove back to his village, got the shirt, came back, presented it to me, and it was it was magic. You know, it was it was really 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 special.
special. That's class, legend, legendary. Who's there? Do you know uh, Trevor Lee? I remember being an absolute force to be reckoned with, absolute madman as well. Um, and of course, I send you before Keith Wood and uh, another big hero. Do you know for any anyone like yourselves who plays in the front row? Do you know <laughs> uh, looks up looks up to him? Absolutely. Listen, no, no, nobody ever chose to play hooker. No, you're not. You're not fast enough to be a back. You're not tall enough to be a backer. So you want to play, you're going in there. So, um, so that's pretty much where it end up. And you get all sorts of shapes. And so you know, talk about Trevor Leota, who would, you know, he would just smash anything. And yeah. you know, you were, you, you just didn't know if you carried into him right at him. You just didn't know what was going to happen. And Woody had, Woody had all the skills in the world. He could play. He could play like a back. He could run like a back. He could kick like a back. He could do. He could do everything. So, um, he was he was an amazing amazing player and a great great bloke as well. Great tourist. Looked after me really well. Yeah. Oh no, that's that's so good to hear. And um, I, I want to talk a wee bit about um your move to Northampton then. So, um, what? What made that decision for you? What made you? Because I know you you loved your time at Ulster, and look, it sounds like there was a lot of highlights there. You loved loved the fans, loved the environment. What made you ultimately then make the move to Northampton, where you've stayed? I think um, I think at that point, the where, where I was in my career, I sort of felt that I still had a fair bit to offer. I still felt that I was I could play at a decent level, and. You know, Rory. Rory was just coming through and, and getting established, and um, you know, Mark McCall and, and Alan Clark were, were the coaches at the time, and um, and Rory was the was the was the player with the shirt in his hand, and it was it was his to lose, and I just sort of felt that, right, rightly or wrongly, that no matter how Rory played, he was always going to get the shirt, and, and that's fine, no issue with that. But it wasn't, it didn't work for me, and that's not how I really wanted to be defined as a player and I still felt that I had I had more to give so um I had a I nearly left a season before I nearly you know had a had a conversation with with Leicester the season before that that, that didn't go anywhere and, and in hindsight I probably really didn't because you know life life's been amazing for me since I moved to Northampton so I'm getting and get into that last year you know I had a you had a chat with Mark McCall he was just like listen we you we're, we're gonna bring bring someone else through and I was like oh, okay no problem at all and fully respect that and you know to be fair if he hadn't have thought I, I was certainly thinking it anyway and if he hadn't have said it it might it might have been something that happened so I, I just didn't want my career to peter out into um uh into nothing and a few bit part games here and there in a squad member yeah I want I wanted to do more than that and I did I did also feel it in my I do feel in my rugby career I underachieved I felt I, I, you know, on reflection, I felt I could have, I could have done more. You know, not not getting that, that's not on me. It's no, no, no one else's thing, but but me. Um, I wasn't playing well enough at the time to to merit more Ireland caps. I wasn't playing well at the t- time to to merit anything else. So, um, I, I felt I needed a change to give one more lash at it to 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 see what I could what I could do in the game and experience something else. I experienced a life experience and you know with at Northampton at the time Northampton weren't in, in great shape. You know, they were mm. at the bottom of the league. They were they were languishing at the bottom of the league. And I sort of made it I'd signed for them knowing that regardless they could they could be in the bottom league. But I was like, listen, I'm I'm going. And that's mm. a great club. If they go down, it'll be short term. I'm there for the long haul. You know, I could be part of the reinvention of the club. So mm. that, that it sort of came from that that it was it was an amical 
decision to leave and it was the right it was the right time for me to go it was the right thing for me as well I, I don't look back with with any bitterness in all in all transparency it was the best it was the best thing that I've done yeah yeah and and there's a lot of guys you know I've spoken to and they, they enjoyed their time at Ulster what for whatever reason have moved on elsewhere do you know um it, it, some of the guys you mentioned Justin Justin Fitzpatrick moving over to France for a bit coming back um uh, I mean, there's loads of examples of that, and sometimes that's. I suppose you play, you play sport, and you you must be a naturally competitive person and want to be playing. Do you know at the top level? So you went over to Northampton. There's a, a couple of well-known guys you played with there as well. So Dylan Hartley was coming through the ranks, isn't that right? Sort of, he yeah. must have been the young sort of. I remember watching him. Uh, rugby nerd that I am, watching him for England under twenties, uh, and thinking this guy's going to be, he's going to. Play. I didn't. Okay, I didn't predict a captain England at, at some stage, but I knew he was going to be a good player. He really stood out. So, what was your battle like with him then? Was it sort of a a, a battle for that number two jersey at, at Northampton? It, it, it certainly, it certainly was at the start. I think when I wanted, Steve Thompson had left, and I was effectively coming in to replace him. And there was a lot of there was a lot of high high you know high thoughts for Dylan. So mm. so I came in and and I. Dylan probably didn't have a clue who I was, if he's being completely honest with himself. But I, I came in with a different set of eyes, and I was bringing something completely different than what um, than what Steve Thompson was bringing. And we had a real battle at the start. Um, and at, at the start of the season, I got I got the jersey. I, I played the first number of games, and Dylan got it back, and we back and forth. And then Dylan sort of realised the penny dropped with him that if he wanted to have aspirations and kick on, that's that's what he had to do. So I like to think that sort of backhanded, I I help these guys because you know. I was the starting hooker before Rory got in and made his Ulster debut and he went on to play for Ireland last year. And then I was the starting hooker for Dylan and then he got my jersey and then he's got on to play for England. And both of them, you know, Rory over 100 caps, Lions tours and, and Dylan nearly nearly 100 caps. I like to think that uh, the my, I was the catalyst <laughs> projected them to go on. He's for he's great, great thing. So uh, maybe or they just thought, this. Well, who is this grey-haired guy in our way? Can we just get on with it? He's just blocking the path, stopping me being <laughs> successful. So, um, so yeah, listen, I, I think the thing about Dylan is that Dylan is sort of portrayed for um, from the outside as this sort of villainous character. But D- Dylan's just like like everyone. He's he's a guy in your environment. He's driven. He wants to win. Big re- big part of the success we had at the club was, was through his captaincy, a real leader. And, and a guy you want to follow. I, I get why people don't like him, but I suppose it's like everything. You don't actually know him. You don't actually yeah. know people. You, you judge what you see on the pitch. And, um, you know, he wouldn't be the first guy to um, to go into battle with people and you wouldn't get on with, but afterwards have a beer with. So, yeah, I, I, I completely get it, but it's not it's not always a fair reflection of who the bloke is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think you, you can judge, or as a fan, you judge players based on what they're like on the pitch. And, like, there's some very nasty, abrasive players who are actually lovely, lovely guys by all accounts. So uh, that's interesting. And uh, you mentioned there briefly about um, maybe looking back, you've had sufficient time now to reflect in your playing career and you look back and um, you, you mentioned maybe wanting to have done more, maybe not fulfilling the potential that you had. Like, I, I think from the outside, your guys had a long, successful career in rugby. One of the sort of 0.1% the people who play rugby go on to play professionally and then go on to have a career spanning for, for I mean, what, over 10 years, 10, you know, at, at the top level. So whenever you look back, is there anything that you wish you'd done differently? 
or um, what, what, what is it that makes you say that you, you have unfulfilled potential? It's, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because you look back, like I, I consider myself extremely lucky to have had, have had the career I have. Um, really fortunate to, to, to be in a professional rugby player um, for, you know, two amazing clubs for, for Ulster and, and Northampton. And to, you almost, I, I don't mean it to sound ungrateful, but I just feel that I just didn't fulfill what I could have done. And I think, I think really that's down to, to me and how I was at the time. And I don't know if I got myself in a position where it was easy to blame someone else, or I didn't apply myself or I didn't put the hours in for what, what I could have done to make, to make myself kick on. It's only whenever you look back, you go, geez, I, I had you way more time than you think you did. And you think you're being diligent and professional at the time, but the reality is whenever you look back, you go, geez, I probably wasn't doing what I could have. So I think if I really, I think I would just regret not putting in more training, more hours, so I could look back and go, I give it absolutely everything and it either was enough or it was enough. And I think to be brutally honest with myself, I don't, I think there's times during my Ulster career where I didn't do that. And I probably was, you know, that I was probably a bit negative at the time as well and got myself a bit frustrated. There were, there were times in that, in that Ulster squad where there was, the, the, you know, the starting team was was picked and and everyone else wasn't in it and there wasn't really a route in and that was, and, and that was quite tricky for for a lot of us who were in that period and we probably got ourselves into this negative mindset. There wasn't much squad rotation going on back then because there wasn't so many games. It probably got ourselves in that negative mindset with, with with guys that was you know in reflection you just go you know try try harder put just give yourself the best chance of getting picked and and I think that's probably how I would look at it you know I'm 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 deeply you know I I'm really delighted that you know I'm I'm one of the first 10 people to have played a, a hundred times for Ulster you know I'm the first hooker to play a hundred times like that that's something that I'm, is is really is really special for me but um I, I got two Ireland caps I can't help but think that if I had applied myself Perhaps I could have got more, but I'm still yeah. extremely grateful to have those two caps, nonetheless. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's really interesting to hear you say that and and be so honest about that. Do you know, um, but because there will be guys who who who'll you hear on different podcasts and stuff, and they'll say, "Oh, it was such and such a reason," or "This person held me back," or "This coach didn't pick me," or whatever. But like to hear you just say, "Like I wish you'd done more," despite the fact you had a great career. But there's always that extra that you can put in and. I suppose in your role, it's great for young guys coming through. You're able to... The Red Hand is proudly partnered with Shredded Juice Bar, a fantastic local business based on Belfast's bustling Lisburn Road. Shredded Juice Bar stocks a range of fresh, healthy, wholesome and delicious foods and drinks. Fresh juices, smoothies, SIE bowls, protein pots, overnight oats, protein balls, salads and wraps. You can tailor our menu to your needs... Everything is served just the way you like it. We're all about feel-good food. Come and give us a try. We know you'll love it. We're open seven days a week. That shredded juice bar on the Lisburn Road in Belfast. We look forward to seeing you soon. Hello the Red Hand listeners, this is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We're just stoppers at the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street where we've been since 1950. We again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster Rugby product. We do hoodies, 
tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do it with adults and kids. And that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget, shop local. To chat to them and say, look, yeah, you have potential. You need to work at it. You know, work, and that's something I'll talk about in a second. What are the key traits you're looking for in, in young guys? And that must be right up there. But uh, very quickly, then I suppose for um, one of the things I meant to ask you was, like, for for young guys listening to this, and there's there's a lot of young rugby players listening to this. Um, what sort of what's your rugby philosophy? I remember you being sort of a ball in hand, sort of dynamic, modern type of hooker. Would that be fair to say? Or how would you say? What would, what would you say is your sort of rugby philosophy when you're playing? I think whenever I played, I, I you know I, I wanted to get the ball in my hand. I felt that I could do stuff whenever I had the ball in my hand. I felt that was I had I had I would I had skills. I could pass off my hand. I could try things. I had a I had an eye for the try. I had an eye for the try line and and. You know, I, I just I just enjoyed playing and absolutely knackered myself in terms of running around. You know, my, my philosophy now is that I think that rugby is at a real, um, you, you know, it's at a real, real turning point. There's lots of people looking at rugby now going, you know, is it safe? And in England, we've lost the two clubs and, and lost to Worcester. And, you know, f- football's not rugby. We we need supporters in the place. We, we need bums on seats and we want people watching it and, and for that I think that we need to provide something that people want to come and see um, a duty to to play the game the way the game is supposed to be played people want to be entertained you need to provide them with something that um, come and you know come I want to be there I want to watch them play I wish I was in I wish I was there that day or I was there the day that Saints did this or Ulster did that and I, and I think there's a real responsibility to, to, to play the game the way the game is supposed to be played and make people want to come back into the stadiums and um, you know it's 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 cliche but rugby is a sport for all sizes but but everyone can play Every, everyone can play it so you've got to enjoy it and um, you've really you know from the young just just enjoy what you do and as you get older are you taking every opportunity to get better you know, have you, have you taken every chance to make yourself better? Can you look yourself in the mirror when I, I took my chance to get better today, that little half percent that I could have done? Or you sacked it off because you just weren't in the right frame or you had a lie-in or you took the you took a shortcut whenever you didn't need to. So um, I'm, I'm very much that we, we have a duty to give people something that they, they want to come and see. And I think that's I think that's the same with, with most sports. I, I think supporters and guy, you know, also has an amazing support base that will, will come and see him and, and so does Northampton they will travel they will go to the ends of the earth to watch them and, and they love being around it but it also resonates whenever there's you know there's local lads playing for them because they can visit oh he went to my school and I remember watching him when he was mm. when he was this you know an interesting story so so Dan Soper who is the the uh, the Ulster coach now was coach of RBAI and he was coaching Banbridge and good pals of best so I've known Soaps for a long long time but when he was coaching RBAI he said listen we're we're talking about we want to go on tour. We've done a couple of tours. We've done Exeter. Could you, you help us in Northampton? So I said, I'd love to. That'd be brilliant. So, um, so got into the, the old boys network and we got it, we got it funded and they stayed in a hotel. They didn't, don't be building it out. Let's stay in a hotel and see what we can do. And they, they came to the Ulster, Ulster played, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Ulster played, no, it wasn't Ulster. Jeez, it was because David Humphreys was coach of Gloucester. So Gloucester, Saints played Gloucester on the Friday. Yeah. So so Humph was there. So he got to meet the players and I, I took them for a tour of the place and they stayed in a hotel and then they played Bedford School um, 
on the on the Saturday, which was which was brilliant. Or we played Belfast, which was which was class. But you know that that RBAI team had uh, you know two Ireland internationals and mm-hmm. it had um, Michael Lowry and James Hume were playing against two of all. You know Fraser Dingwall was playing for us. So so you look back and it's brilliant. You go, I can I can associate with that. And any time I see also playing, I'll always have a chat with with Michael Lowry because he remembers those things and I remember those things as well. But it really resonates whenever I can relate to that because that kid went to my school so I have a more active interest and um, you can talk to them and players and rugby players have to be accessible as well I think that's the difference that we are accessible yes absolutely you know that that's a that's a huge thing and part of what I'm doing uh, I suppose is trying to speak to guys and uh, see sort of the stories behind the players you know and uh, and and chat the guys um, which uh, as you say I think it's so important that clubs engage with with uh with fans, uh, football is so much more popular than r- rugby is a niche sport. Let's face it; it's uh, it's got a big support base, and I know Saints are very well supported as are Ulster. But look, I, I think clubs and the game in general can't take that for granted. We need to think of new new ways to engage fans. Part of that is bringing through young guys, which brings us neatly to your role now and uh, player retention and recruitment. So. It's interesting that that's even part of your job title is retention. Does that mean sort of uh, nurturing guys like a greenhouse, you know, and bringing them through the club and, and keeping hold of those guys? Is that a big part of it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we see ourselves as a as a development club rather than a recruitment club. So just 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 to clarify what I mean by that is that we want to we want guys representing our club who are from the region who we have nurtured since they were 14 15 the whole way up because it means something to them and it means something to us now um we want to develop our own players and uh we work hard and we have a real great philosophy we have a great academy and pathway system and guys putting an awful lot of work out in the in the satellite centers working and developing the coaches and developing the players to to, to play the same and, and it's a massive amount of investment because some brilliant people working to, to get those guys through now we we our percentage of homegrown players is 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 the highest in the premiership but but not only that we want to produce good players and you know I, i'll put our record up against anyone in, in england for who's pre- this current coaching group that we have that's provided players that are playing international rugby so you know we have only recently we had alex coles and david ribbons who, who made their debut and then not long before you know we've had Tommy freeman and george furbank but then even um, Rory Hutchinson playing for Scotland and even Andrew Killaway who came and spent a season with us um, left Australia, came and played the season we actually went back and played for the Wallabies so um, we really stand by that's what we want to do, we want to produce our own players, now you can't always get that so as, as a club we are we, we identify as English so you're looking for English, young English and, and high potential is really what you're after but you can't always find that and then you go out to the market uh, and you see what's available and, and see who's the right fit and you bring in some so we've had some amazing players over the years we've had you know George North and Louis Piccamo to, to name a couple and we've got some guys like James Ram who slid under the radar you know a wall, wall you know he's been in the Wallaby squad but he's English qualified who's who's been brilliant for us and Lucan Salakai Lotto, the, the Wallaby, um, the Wallaby lock has come players. And I think what's brilliant at that as well is that he's still only 26. He's not 32 and coming to the end and just going like come for the paycheck. He still wants to play and compete. So um, yeah, we're really we have a really clear philosophy for, for who we want to bring in. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by this this part of your role as well. I love the fact that it's 
the, the emphasis is on bringing young guys through because I think there's, I think the temptation for clubs will be to bring through a load of big names, guys coming to the end of their career or whatever, um, and get them through a couple of, just next season, get us through next season, a couple of big experienced players. But like long term, you need those young guys coming through, as you say, Ulster and Ferniston done that pretty well. Guys like Mike Laurie, James Hume are good examples of that. Um, but in terms of in terms of what actually involves, do you sit and watch reams of tape? I suppose it's not like you hear about scouting networks in football. Probably the resources aren't there in the same way in rugby. How how do you find out about these guys? Do you have you send guys out? Or do you have to travel a lot and go and watch people? Or how you know, it, I don't. I don't this? travel. Sorry, for some reason. ACDC has just come on and sort of play and my music's just got to stop it. Sorry. Um, uh, um, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of knowing what's going on and understanding. So and we, in England we have to work to salary cap, which is a pretty tight framework, which we have to which we have to really strongly adhere to. You know, anyone in rugby will have known what's happened with Saracens over the last few years. So it's a real hard, hard science to to get right, it really is extremely difficult because there's so many different permutations and things that can happen and who you can bring in. You get, you know, there's different credits for being English qualified, for international players, for everything else, homegrown credits. There's so many credits that you have to work with and it, it becomes quite quite difficult to work with sometimes. So you have to spend so much time working out your English qualified players and who can come in and, and who can't and can they get a visa to get in the in the country so you have to spend so much time doing it that you actually you know what's going on you spend so much time talking to agents you spend so much time tracking all the leagues and who qualifies but then you spend a lot of time talking to you know the coaching staff and what they're looking for you know a second row are you looking for a victor or a backies what are you actually looking for and and what type of player are you looking for and then you sort of have to work out the budget i want i want an a-lister i want this you know take you know take take what also just signed with stephen kitchoff who's who's a an amazing player wonderful so one of the top 10 players in the world so that would have been clearly identified from quite a long time ago and i imagine they would want him to have the sort of impact that someone like charles pietoy had um, whenever he played then. So you, you spend lots of time watching watching players and talking to people that might know them. Um, but yeah, you, you get your system, you know how you're doing it, and you trust the people around you. And you know, I'll have a I'll have a good look. And we do there's a we, we now involve a bit of statistical analysis just to get a different flavor and a bit of your thing in case it caught, spit someone up who you wouldn't have thought of previously. And um that really brings a completely different mindset to the whole thing because it's up in my eyes because you have to keep evolving you have to keep developing because if you stand still you know you'll you'll miss out you know yeah. i think saracens have signed they signed theo, theo mcfarland this year uh last he was amazing last year and if, if people are being honest with themselves they're like they didn't they, they didn't know who he was but he's been an absolute revelation so they've done their homework on him and and we've had success with guys in the past like samu manoa and, and george pc and ken pc who've been brilliant for us so um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of time, and and the, the other difficulty is it can be anti-social hours. You know, you're talking to someone in Australia, New Zealand, then you're going to get the phone call in the in the middle of the night. And you know, I remember whenever when Chris Boyd was was first getting started, he was still working for the Hurricanes, and he'd be on the phone morning and night, and he'd ring me in the he'd ring me in the morning 
he'd speak to him at night and he'd ring me in the morning and go, well, what's happened? I said, well, nothing since I last spoke to you. I went to sleep. So I've achieved absolutely nothing since you last spoke. And he's the new boss. And you're like, I'm really sorry. I haven't done anything. All I've done is, all I've done is get some kip to make sure I'm ready for the day. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's lots of time invested in all of that. And it, and it's not, it's not, it's not a one man band either. You know, the, the coaches are watching, the analysts are helping out. There's people you trust and rugby such a small area you can speak to people quite quickly you can find mm-hmm. out someone who knows them and you trust your resource you trust your network and you you, you speak to people who are in similar jobs and you bounce ideas off them so um it, it's 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 all it's the problem with the job is that it's it's a really fortunate job and people think it's it's glamorous and it's time but you get a signing done and it's brilliant and everyone gets really excited about it there's there's no doubt but there's other times whenever you, you lose one and you're like really quite disappointed because you wanted to deliver for the coaches and 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 you weren't for whatever reason the player decided he didn't want to come and it, and it doesn't happen but still it it grates on you a wee bit that you didn't actually get that one done so um yeah and it's just it, it's all the time there's always something going on whether it's a, whether there's a a re-signing or there's an injury so you've picked up two knocks because rugby specialist position picked up two knocks in the front row right we need to go out and find someone else and then you're bringing around trying to, to get someone to see who's available and who you might be able to get in, and um, it, at the worst, the worst time is they right, Christmas. Christmas will be quiet. Nothing happens at Christmas, and then sure <laughs> enough, someone, someone gets injured, and you're you're going back into your little black book and onto your spreadsheets to find out who is actually available and, and go mm. from there. So it, it happens plenty. And anyone in my position, I'm like, don't get me wrong, I'm really fortunate and really lucky to be in this job. But anyone that's uh, you know, we've we've all had had that scenario. Everyone's been in that position. Yeah, yeah. No, it it sounds like such a fascinating role, and part of that is it, it's so different. Like I, I like yourself, I'm kind of football, and like this, the, you hear the scouting system. Everyone's aware of everyone. You know, that's just the nature of football. It's so high profile. So if there's someone like playing in Dutch league or something like that, who turns out to be quite good, most people, all the sort of football nerds, will have heard of them. Whereas yeah. rugby's so interesting because you get guys. And a load of the guys I've spoken to, um, the likes of Rob Heron came through and it was one of those ones where um, it was his old headmaster bumped in the uh, the London Irish coach at the time. And it's like, our hookers just got injured. We need, we need you. And he, Rob's old headmaster said, I've got a guy. And then that's where his career kickstarted, you know, and it's weak, things like that. Um, but like, I've no doubt it's changed a lot as, as, technology has progressed and you're looking out for for key stats and things like that um and look in terms of stats i'm always a wee bit uh i've watched that movie moneyball i'm sure you've seen it as well and uh it's sort of your wheelhouse isn't it but um can you can you sort of judge but by stats or or what what weight do you put behind those can you look at a set of stats and actually go right well a lot of guys, a lot of people don't know this guy, but like his stats add up. His line looks brilliant, or whatever. Is that? I mean, there, there is there a lot more to it than that. I think I think stats only stats will paint a certain certain amount. They'll not they'll not tell you they'll not tell you everything. You know, you wouldn't need to get a load of statistics to know how good a ball carrier Dwayne Vermeulen is, or that Andre Hazen is probably the best ball carrying 12 in the premiership you, you don't need statistics to tell you that what it might do is affirm something or you know details that you might mightn't necessarily look for like the amount of 
unforced errors that a player makes or the amount of turnovers that he actually makes or his tackling percentage that, you know, whenever you see him miss a few tackles, the, the the stats might cough up a figure that you go, oh, I didn't I didn't realise that. But they can also be quite, you know, it, it can almost paint a, a bit of a wrong picture sometimes as well because statistics can say that, oh, he's a really... He's a really poor defender. And you look at the stats and go, well, if you look at the situation that he's found himself in, that's actually a really difficult tackle to make. And it's it's not actually there. So um, I think it'll cough up some some people. I, I, I wouldn't live or die by it. I think you've got to have a feel for the player and watch for the player. And sometimes you're watching for the amount of stuff that he's doing off, a player's doing off the ball or the lines that he's running that don't necessarily cough up in statistics. So um, it, w- it might make me watch someone if statistics then come up and I go who's I wasn't expecting him to be there or I've never heard of that guy playing in the MLR so I'll go and have a, a proper look at him I'd never I'd never considered that the other difficulty that we have is that the eligibility criteria they have to to meet a certain eligibility criteria to to get a visa which mm. which also it, it narrows your your search down a fair bit mm-hmm. as well so um yeah, I think you can get. I think I would never be dismissive of statistics because I think you get stuff out of it. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the first place I would be going to to to, to look at a player. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And, and there's such specific parameters that you have to operate within in terms of bud, like in terms of like salary cap, as you're saying, uh, English qualified and equally coaches it like recruitment. Uh, uh, people over here it has to be Irish qualified or they have to find some sort of relative whether it be a grandparent or whatever who, who's, who's Irish you know but um, I, uh, just as we sort of finished it, whenever I put this up but so I, I put up on social media that you're coming on a lot of people uh, ask questions and I don't have time to uh, ask them all but um, and as usual uh, I've, for, I've forgotten to write down who, who asked them but um, one Ask the, as many as you want them in no rush. <laughs> oh, very good. You're very good. You're very generous. And one of the things uh, I have here is who's the best coach that you've worked with? The best coach I've worked with? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, I think in terms of coach, I, th- I think there's probably a few that stand out to me. I think Brian McLaughlin is one that, that stands out to me. I had Brian at, at at, at Inst, and he was an amazing coach, mm. tremendously detailed, um, and he's probably was one of the, the catalysts for, uh, for my, you know, for for trying to push on to do a few bits, and he was always pushing me and and you know championing my cause. I think that um, I think that whenever I work with under Mark McCall and and Alan Clark, I think Smalley has gone on to become a fantastic coach. It was it was clear then that. He had he had something he had clear ideas for how he wanted to play the game and he was young at the time and he was still learning and he went and did his stinted cast and then came back to Salas and he's had amazing success so I think he's very easy to say that he was a, a really really um, top top coach that that I worked with um, but I also really enjoyed working with guys like like Jim Allender and Dorian West Dorian West in terms of a you know when I worked with him he wasn't that long finished playing for England and. British Lions and have won the World Cup. So just to get knowledge from there, it was really great to 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 work with them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Brian McLaughlin keeps coming up, but you know, in these conversations, and people have massive respect from both guys you know, coached by Minutes, but also Adelster as well. He's massively successful there. So, um, 
Who's the best player? This is another question from uh, someone sent that on social media. Who's the best player that you've played with? The best player that I've played with? Oh, that's... I'm probably going to upset someone by, by answering this one. I think, I think, I think if you know, I was, I played with, I played with guys at international level, like, like Paulio, uh, you know, if you take the international guys out of it, you play with Ron McGarren and Paul O'Connell, uh, amazing guys. But um, if I was to talk, talk about club, um, I think some of the best, the best guys I played with were, you know, I think David, David Humphreys would be up there in terms of, of how good he was. I think that, um, Justin Harrison made a made a big swing to 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 change the way that Ulster approached thing. I, th- I thought he was he he was fantastic for us as well. You know, Paddy Wallace has gone on to done some amazing things. Stevie Ferris was just getting started, and and, and what a player he was. Um, I think at Northampton, I was you know probably the most talented guy I played with was was Carlos Spencer. He could he could throw bad passes on purpose. He was he was that he was that skillful. Uh, he could do that, but yeah, I, w- I would probably say that the the like I would say that the likes of Humph, whenever Humph played well for us on a Friday night, it meant that we were going to win. And and the, the couple of years Wardy had, whenever I probably cut the tail end of Wardy's career, at the very when he was playing at his very top, he was massively influenced on how we played. Yeah, yeah. so interesting. Uh, some huge names there. I, I I'd forgotten about Carlos Spencer there that he was there that you overlapped and. Uh, he's one of those guys that just makes you love rugby, you know, because he's so skillful and kept things interesting and was passing through his legs before it was cool, you know, that type of thing. So um, amazing, amazing to have, to have played alongside him, I'm sure. And finally, what's your connection to, to Ulster now? Like, do you come back to Belfast much? Do you keep in touch with, you sort of mentioned it a wee bit earlier, do you keep in touch with some of your old teammates? Um, I, de- I definitely keep in touch with with David Humphreys regularly and, and and Paddy Wallace regularly, and I see Simon every time we go back to Northern Ireland um, through the family family connections. I'm part of a, a former players WhatsApp group, which is excuse me, which is which is brilliant to be part of. And some of the names that are in there is just it's just class to reignite with people. I played a I played in Chris Henry's testimonial legends game a few years ago, and I absolutely. <laughs> Just loved being back and playing with those boys again and seeing, you know, Sheldon Coulter and all those because I hadn't seen him. It was, it was just brilliant. But do I see enough of them? Probably not. Do I, I don't get back to Northern Ireland probably long enough to spend enough time not seeing family and seeing my friends outside school to to make a real effort. But if I see, if I bump into people, you know, I, I, don't, I don't rush to get away from them. I'm glad to see them and any excuse to have a pint and, and catch up with people. So, um. Do I get back to the rugby? No, I I haven't been to unless we're playing Ulster. No, I haven't, I haven't been yeah. back in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. But so you're very much at home over there. That's that's good to hear. Um, because yeah, it's uh, it's moved. I don't know. I, I I love Belfast, but you must have really found it find a home for yourself over in Northampton, which which is class. Um, so uh, the oh, so the final thing I was going to ask you, I, I neglected to ask this earlier was. About, I don't want to finish on a negative note, but ending your playing career and um, what actually spurred that? And uh, you're saying you're playing Chris Henry's testimonial. I had assumed maybe with the injury that you sustained, that was that had ruled you out. Or are you feeling okay? And tell us a bit more about ending and yeah, your well, career. The the in, the injury came about um, in, in 2009. I, I hit a scrum and something just didn't feel right in in my neck and. Um, you know, so something went and it was neural. And whenever I went to see the specialist, 
Um, he just said, listen, it's you, you could try and come back. I was like, hang on, I don't, I don't really like the sound of that. I could try and come back. What do you mean? I got a bit more context and um, I, I, I looked at it and made a decision that, you know, I just had my youngest, my youngest son was just born. He's, he's not my eldest, but he was my youngest. My my firstborn son was born, and I, I was I was thirty. I, you know, I was, I was thirty one. I'd, I'd I'd got the Ireland caps. I'd played the games. I'd won the trophies, and I just sort of thought. I, I've always said there's three things that stop you playing. One, you don't want to. Two, your body won't let you. Or three, someone doesn't want you. Um, and I felt that this was was one of these scenarios where it was the right time for me. To stop, I didn't want to come back and maybe not get back or do myself more damage. And you know, I was fortunate enough that I was able to to walk away reasonably unscathed. It was the first real proper big injury that I had, and, and it finished me. But I was I was grateful that I could walk away. I didn't want to be the guy that was popping pills and strapping myself up to get through. That's not how I wanted to finish. And I could look back and go, you know, I played for Ulster, I played for Ireland, I played for Northampton. I've had, a, I've had a pretty good shift here and I didn't want to go on the merry-go-round and just try and keep playing and move the family around. I was quite settled and didn't want to move that. So um, while, while I was sad to finish, I was I was happy to I was happy retiring. I was happy with my lot. Um, so it, it really wasn't a, a big, big deal uh, at that point. I would, I'd come to terms with it. Yeah, and, and that is, I, I suppose, a positive note to end on because you went over, you had a great career, and you set up a life there and seemingly you're very happy. Have you a few kids now, do you? Uh, I do, yeah, I yeah. do. I have I have three. I have two two boys and a girl, so I have Hugh, yeah. Hugh and Finn and Georgie. So Hugh and Finn are, um, they're 14 and, and 12. They're both they're both rugby players as well. So cool. they, they play fly half. I'm like, get out of the front row. You'll be typecast <laughs> and you'll never get out. So get out of there. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so so they're playing away, you know, um, Hugh's, Hugh's in the pathway system at Saints, which is great. And Finn's a, Finn's a, a talented little, little fail as well. And, and my daughter's yeah. a, a gymnast, so she's competing at, at quite a high level, so which is great. But it is the worst spectator sport in the world for a parent <laughs> because how does she do? I don't know. She, she moved. I think I think her toe went a wee bit. So does that? How many marks does that lose? And you find out at the end of it. So, um, so yeah. But um, yeah, listen. So long as so long as they're happy, that, that's yeah. the most important thing. And and my wife's happy, and my wife's Gemma's really happy, and the kids are really happy, and they're all really settled, and, and that's the most important thing. That's so good, so good, and good to hear you're producing the next sort of generation of rugby players as well. So hopefully those guys come through and and uh, play for Northampton, or if they like to play for Ulster, who knows? Oh, <laughs> who knows? Listen, as so long as they have fun and they're enjoying themselves, that's that's all that matters to me. So you know, that's just like just enjoy what you do. Don't worry about any of the rest of it. There's no pressure from anywhere. So just enjoy what you're doing. That's the best way. And look, there'll be parents listen to this here shouting at their kids on Saturday morning. <laughs> so take that advice on board. <laughs> well listen, I've seen it because my like my my my, my middle son Finn used to play used to play a lot of football. Um and like the, the scouting system over here is is massive. So you'd see the guys in their long trench coats with their clipboard representing Leicester City or Derby County or whoever. And there's parents watching the scouts to see if the scouts are watching their son. And they're like, this is our step. This is our... And you're like, well, yeah. it probably isn't. Your chance of being <laughs> successful is none. And you're living vicariously through your child. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe let them go and ride a bike or learn to swim or something, as opposed to this Mbappe effect that they're all talking about. But you, you, well, you want participation. You got to enjoy. You got to love what you do. Otherwise, don't do it. It's a hobby at the end of the day. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think more people need to realise that. And like rugby's all about having fun. It sounds like you had a lot of fun in your career as well, you know, and made a lot of friends through it. So that's that's the important thing, and it's it's so good to hear. And Paul, very good to speak to you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and great to great to meet a hero, childhood hero. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Paul. No, my pleasure. Really nice to talk to you. Hopefully, come back sometime too.